Welcome to both Success and Integrity with Bessie Graham, a podcast dedicated to established business leaders like you, ready to bring more meaning into your life in a way that strengthens rather than threatens the financial stability of your business. I'm your host, Bessie Graham. I've worked with business owners, governments, and large funding bodies like the United Nations for over 20 years to bring doing good and making money back together. So let's unpack why you don't have to choose between experiencing success or having integrity in your life. As you know, I'm always encouraging you to make the shift to having a both and mindset. And the way to think about that is learning to sit with the fact that two things can be equally true. That things that seem like a contradiction can both be true. That paradox is something you need to get more comfortable with. All of these types of ideas are at the heart of the both and mindset. And today, what I want to share with you has actually been inspired by a question I got asked by someone where they were struggling with what they felt was a contradiction in the ideas I was presenting and how that sort of played out or made sense to them when they looked at the world around them in the business space. So here was the question that I got asked today. This person said, if the roots of business aren't focused on profit maximization, and if you're right that it is deeply human to actually want to do good and make money, then why are there so many examples of business leaders who reflect all of the worst qualities of humanity and behave so badly? So this was the question that I got asked today. And so many things came to my mind when I was thinking of how to respond to it. Because there are layers and there are, you know, depending on the situation, there can be a whole range of reasons why people behave badly and why business leaders behave badly. But what I decided to sort of focus in on in my response was three of the main reasons why I think we still see this reflection of the worst of humanity and bad behavior coming up in many business leaders. And so I want to share those three things with you today. Let me just at a high level tell you what they are. The first is I'm going to focus around power and the misunderstandings of power. The second is I'm going to look at incentives in terms of the incentives we use to drive behavior in business. And the third is around the tendency towards action and achievement that is present for us as business leaders. So they're the three chunky areas (laughs) that uh, formed my response to the question. And I want to run through those with you today 
not in a massive amount of detail. I don't want to overwhelm you because they're actually three really huge topics in and of themselves. But I want to give you the sort of dot points, the highlights in each of those areas as a way to plant some seeds and get you thinking about those areas, whether they are things that you're seeing in business leaders, whether they're things that you have seen in yourself, in your own behavior at different points. And then importantly, beyond just sharing this with you today in the podcast, whether you're listening to this or watching the video, what I would love is for you, once you have a chance to reflect on that, is to actually join the conversation. Whether that's coming over onto LinkedIn and engaging with me there related to the newsletter or some of my posts, or whether it's commenting in YouTube, whatever works best for you. I want to spark a conversation here because I know from the private conversations I'm having with people like you who are business leaders, who are established, who are running organisations that are doing doing well in terms of they're established, they're profitable, they're functioning well, they look successful from the outside, but the leaders are grappling with how do they embrace a rapidly changing business environment, rapidly changing expectations and a world where the role of business and the ideas surrounding that are changing rapidly. That's the external question that people are (laughs) grappling with and that I'm helping them work through. But there is also the personal and the internal discomfort, if you like, that leaders are talking to me about, where they're saying, there has to be more. Like, I want my business and the work I'm doing there to have more of a sense of meaning and purpose. I want this to be more fulfilling. I want to be contributing to something. But I hesitate and I'm not exactly sure how to do that when it comes to the practicalities of weaving that practice or those changes into my business. So the reason I'm asking you to, once you've reflected on it, to join the conversation is I have the benefit of having these conversations with business leaders one-on-one like you, but I want you to have the benefit of hearing from other business leaders and for them to benefit from hearing from you. So if you share your questions, your frustrations, your doubts, I don't mind what it is, you don't have to agree with me, but share that publicly, comment, then what it will do is it will help spark other people to do the same. And then collectively we can start to have more of an honest and open conversation that allows each of us to not feel alone in our journey and also allows us to learn from each other as we push into new territory and figure out what does this look like to do business differently in a way that creates a win-win where my business winning isn't at the expense of someone else losing, where me doing well has multiple dimensions to it. It means I'm contributing, I'm making the world a better place, but I'm also being rewarded for 
the risks I take in running a business and for my own unique talents and effort that I'm putting out into the world. So that's why I want you to go beyond just listening and I want you to join in the conversation because I guarantee you, you will benefit more from a broader conversation and from engaging with other business leaders on this journey than you will if the exploration stays just being between you and I. I hope that makes sense. And if you're sort of wondering, well, where does that come from? Why am I confident in that? I have been working with hundreds of different business leaders over the years and I have seen time and again that many of the biggest breakthroughs come in typically small group contexts, but in those environments where we are seeing and learning from other people, their business, their conversations, their questions, which allow us to look at our own business, our own behavior in a different way. Sometimes when the conversation stays one-on-one, say between you and a mentor, a business coach, or in my case, a, a thinking partner, when tough questions get asked, it can be hard not to feel defensive. We can fall into justifying our behavior, why we do things we do, why we believe what we believe. And what can soften that response is by broadening it out and starting to have a conversation and learning from each other. Because you may then see something mirrored back to you in how someone else is behaving or their response or their challenge or question that allows you to suddenly reflect on your own practice in a different way. So if you've been listening for a while and you haven't publicly jumped in, I want to encourage you to maybe challenge yourself to do that after listening to this episode. I would really appreciate it and I think you will over time find that that is a more useful way to see your practice shift quicker. So that's, that's my little call to action for you, <laughs> which I will remind you of at the end. But let's focus in on those three pieces that I want to talk to you about today. And in each of them, I'm going to touch on some ideas that you may then want to read up about, do some more thinking on your own, as well as jumping in with with questions for me or others. So let's go back to the first piece in my response. So the question was, Bessie, if it is true that the roots of business are not focused on profit maximization, that's a new thing in terms of it's only in the last few decades, it's since the 70s that that became the popular focus. If business isn't about a focus on profit maximization, and if it is deeply human to actually want to both do good and make money, not just prioritize the money, then why do we see business leaders behaving in a way that reflects all of the worst qualities of humanity? Why do we see the examples of that poor behavior within business leaders? 
So the first of my responses focuses on a misunderstanding of power. And what I mean by that is that if we look at the concepts, what we have taken on board around what power is, how we get power, and how we maintain power, I think we are quite misguided in that. Now, power, power dynamics, all of those pieces are things that I have been really conscious of and focused on since I was a little kid. And then in my academic studies, both undergraduate and postgraduate, I studied politics, international relations. My master's was in counterterrorism. I've studied a whole bunch of different areas around executive leadership, leadership styles. All of that personal experience, the way I'm wired and what I have studied has led me to a place where I am very conscious of power in a room, who has it, who has it but isn't conscious that they have it, who is lacking power but actually needs to be given that platform and should be supported to to have more of a role and what does that look like. All of those types of things are something I'm very, very focused on. And there is a book, which I'm not going to go into in great detail, but I am going to uh, draw on some of the, the concepts from this book as I talk to you about power today. And I would recommend that you read the book if you are interested. So the book itself is called The Paradox of Power, and it's by Dasha Keltner. Now, in it, he draws on 20 years of research around power. There are many interesting aspects to it. He pulls out what he calls 20 power principles. And some of them, when you look at it, may seem quite obvious, but some of them are a bit counterintuitive or they're not the ways that we have typically thought about power. When you think of the most common uh, stereotypes or ideas that come to mind when the word power is used, often we blur the ideas of power and position. And people tend to think, if I have a title or I have position and authority, you know, if there's a hierarchy and I'm at the top, then I automatically should be treated in a certain way, people should respect me, I should be powerful and have all the decision-making rights. So there are these different ideas that we blur and can often use interchangeably. The biggest piece I want to draw your attention to is that in many of the ways that we think about power, they are influenced by very outdated notions and theories. You know, I, for example, like I said, studied politics, international relations, counterterrorism. I read, you know, Machiavelli's The Prince many, many times. Um, I have studied and looked at a lot of examples 
where power was taken forcefully, where there is violence and aggression and oppression that are tightly connected to how power seems to play out. The reason I am picking up on this as my first piece for you to think about today related to business leaders and why we behave badly sometimes and we see these reflections of the worst of humanity is that the misunderstanding of power, I think, is one of the key things at the heart of that. Because we have taken on board concepts around thinking that we need to be forceful, aggressive, that it is a zero-sum game where for us to win, someone else has to lose, where in order to show strength, we need to be aggressive if not violent. Now, not necessarily violent in a business setting um, physically, but the aggression, the forcefulness, the language that often gets used is violent. So, you know, there's the treading on people's throats, walking all over people. We use terminology that is aggressive. That is a misunderstanding of how power is gained and maintained in the actual world, right? And it is a reflection of old school thinking that is outdated, that research shows is not true. Now, there are exceptions to the rule. There always are. So, yes, there will always be people who gain power, wealth, privilege, etc., through behaving in appalling ways and through using all of those things I just spoke about. The reason I think you need to read and think about some of the work that that comes out in the book, The Paradox of Power, is that if you are wanting as a business leader to actually operate differently, to run your business in a way that can continue to grow and have a positive impact in the world and create a win-win, then you need to understand how we do actually gain and maintain power. And I think that uh, Keltner's work is important here. When I looked at his components of the, the 20 power principles, one of the pieces that I then did was pull apart, okay, rather than just look at them as a list, what do they tell us in terms of this aspect of if we know that we do actually want to be in a, a position of power and we want to be able to maintain that in a business setting, how do you do that well? So we want to move away from the misunderstandings of power and move into a healthy place, what would that look like? So when I mapped those things and pulled out his list, I then kind of came up with these two columns. One, which was the, the aspects out of his list that I pulled into of the things that we need to foster or um, you know, cultivate in our practice as a business leader if we want to actually gain and maintain power. And then a column which I put at the top of it, beware, like what are the things we have to beware of? We need to be careful and, and make sure we don't fall into the trap or what he calls uh, that aspect of the paradox of power, the things that can end up working against us. So let me just talk to you about the key things that I put in each of those categories or columns, because when 
you think about shifting into a more accurate and a more healthy concept of power, these are things I would love for you to take into consideration. So in the foster column, the things that I want you to cultivate, focus on and and foster in your own practice as a leader, if you want to gain and maintain power, the pieces there are around empathy, giving, expressing gratitude, telling stories that unite and empowering others in social networks. Just sit with that list for a moment. This is what the research shows you need to foster and cultivate if you want to gain and maintain power. They are all beautiful things. They are all things that are certainly not the worst of humanity. I would say they're some of the best. They're behaviours and practices that, that you can be proud of. I'm going to say them again because, again, I think they are counterintuitive. They are not what we naturally think about when we think about someone trying to gain and maintain power. So we behave badly. We see business leaders behaving badly when they have misunderstood power. Here's what you need to foster. I'm going to read them again because they're important. You need to foster empathy. giving expressing gratitude, telling stories that unite and empowering others in social networks. Some things to probably journal about there, folks. (laughs) Let's jump over to the column that I have uh, titled Beware, the things to beware of, the things that might catch you off guard and actually work against you. The things that we need to be careful of are empathy deficits and diminished moral sentiments. So this is when his research goes into looking at what can happen on the flip side that actually starts to erode our power if we're not conscious of it and if we don't work against it. So if you start to lose empathy and you start to not have the initial kind of moral sentiments of behaviour, then you will begin on the downfall of losing power. You need to beware of self-serving impulsivity. This is an important one because what happens and what the research shows happens is as we spend more time in positions of power, that self-serving impulsivity and greed or looking out for our own needs and desires only kicks in if we're not consciously pushing back against it and it will end up diminishing your power. Incivility and disrespect. Again, this list on the beware side is talking exactly to the behaviour that the person who asked me the question today around why do we see this terrible behaviour and the worst of humanity in business leaders sometimes, incivility and disrespect is in that category. Someone thinking that because they are in a position of power, because they have status or they have privilege, they have hierarchy, you know, they're sitting above 
in their words, someone else, then they begin to not treat other people with respect or civility. And the last one that is in this category of the beware category that will catch you and end up diminishing your power if you're not conscious of it is narratives of exceptionalism. Now, this one is important to put it next to that piece that was in the the foster side around telling stories that unite. Storytelling, as we all know, is deeply human. Narrative, all of these pieces are, are part of what brings us together, what helps us feel inspired and change and move. When you are in the category of misconceptions around power, and you start to fall into that category of using narratives of, of exceptionalism rather than telling stories that unite and respecting other people and empowering other people. Narratives of exceptionalism, we see this all the time when people start to quite arrogantly speak about the fact that they work harder than other people and that's why they're successful or that certain aspects of uh, their choices are superior to other people. So there is this exceptionalism that completely explains away why they are in the position of privilege and power and someone else is not. This, when we look at the research around power, is again a, a shift that starts to then undermine and make you lose power over time. So those categories in the beware, beware of, be conscious of and actively make sure you're not falling into those traps of power are the types of things that are the misconception of power that catch people in the business space and they begin to behave in those poor ways. But they are not actually what research shows will get us into positions of power or will maintain that. Now, like I said, I love this area of of power and possibly depending on how the type of feedback that, that you give me and if this is something you want to talk about more, we can talk about power more in future episodes. But I'm not going to labor that point too much longer. What I do want to do is just give you, I want to read out uh, the way that Keltner talks about power itself, just so that you have the, the sort of framing as we wrap up in this section of what that can look like and how I would ask you to shift to a more positive, healthy and research-backed sense of what power is so that it changes the way you engage with it and the way you behave and you don't fall into the trap of displaying all the worst aspects of humanity when you get into positions of power. So the definition, if you like, and the description, the way he talks about power is that power is your capacity to make a difference in the world by influencing the states of others. So that influencing the states of others is an important one when we think about power and our influence over others, how we're 
changing their states and how our decisions, our behavior will have a flow on impact onto the position that other people find themselves in. So that's the first piece, which I think is a big uh, driver in why we see bad behavior in business leaders. It is their misunderstanding of power, of how it is gained and how it is maintained. And those old school notions draw out the worst in people as they um, sit with and get comfortable in the, the position of privilege and authority, the position of power, and then they misuse that or uh, abuse the power that they have been given. So that's the first piece. The second response that I, uh, I gave around why I think we see these behaviours is around the way that we have structured our attention and our incentives in business. So for this piece, what I am getting at is that there has been such an obsession with short-term focus and profit maximization in business that many of the decisions business leaders are making and much of the pressure they feel under or the constraints that they see themselves operating within have been set up by these structures of attention and the incentives that are set for business leaders. When we think about the fact that there is such a short-term focus on, for example, quarterly reporting, how are you tracking this quarter? What sort of profits are you achieving? What is the growth? The short-term focus and the one-dimensional focus of profit maximization actually sets up a situation where we are incentivizing all of the wrong types of behavior in business leaders. And we need to actually stop and question that focus, question what we are incentivizing, and then see how we want to change that. There are some great books, wonderful uh, different thinkers that have have done a lot of work and written into this sort of area. Two of the books that I would encourage you to look at, one is called Net Positive by Paul uh, Pullman and Andrew Winston, and the other is called Fixing the Game by Roger Martin. There's lots of books, but those two books speak very strongly into these areas of what is wrong with our short-term quarterly reporting type focus and our focus on a profit maximization model or the shareholder uh, value maximization. So those two books are worth you looking at and starting to think about not just as a response to why other leaders might be behaving badly because the incentives are actually all wrong, but thinking about in your own business, what are the unconscious decisions you've made about reporting, about the types of data that you're collecting, the types of ratios or growth-focused targets that you're setting? What are the unintended consequences of those attention-focusing structures 
that are then driving behaviours or incentivizing behaviours that don't actually align with the long-term goals of who you are or who you want to be as a company. And the reason I want to push that point with you is that I only work with and am speaking to people who actually have some of the levers to pull, some of the decision-making rights, some of the influence that is needed to change these things. You are an established business leader. You have some of the uh, options, some of the freedom, some of the power (laughs) to make those decisions differently, particularly those of you who are directly business owners in that small and medium enterprise space. We are not listed companies. We do not have the layers of complexity and decision-making and governance that are in place for listed companies that can make it a much more difficult game to shift some of these things. Not impossible, but difficult. So I want you to sit with actually thinking through how you might need to change some of those attention structuring pieces that you have put in place that might be driving the wrong decisions. So if we go back to the original question I got asked about why business leaders then reflect the worst of humanity if they are deeply human and their their actual drivers are not just profit maximization but wanting to contribute, wanting to do good and make money. When we are in situations where the wrong types of behaviours are incentivized, then even the most decent human being can find themselves on a slippery slope of making one decision that's not exactly aligned, next decision, next decision, and suddenly we find ourselves quite a long way from where we originally started. I want to just read you a piece that Paul Pullman, who was the former CEO of Unilever, uh, described about their book Net Positive because I think it's helpful in relation to thinking about how we make some of these shifts and how we start to incentivize the right behavior and how we shift to not such a short-term focus but the longer-term focus of value creation over time. So in an interview with Forbes, he said, that the book, Net Positive, is about reversing the last 50 years of corporate dogma and norms that prioritise short-termism, self-interest and shareholder supremacy. Now, some of that ties back into what we were just talking about related to power and the negative sides that come into play when people misunderstand power and and fall into the power paradox. But this short-termism and this focus on the shareholder supremacy or profit maximization are the pieces that I want to focus on here because there are really practical steps you can take to begin to shift out of that and incentivize the right kinds of behavior. From a reporting perspective, one of the things they talk about in net positive is actually just dropping the focus on quarterly reporting and taking a longer-term view. You may or may not want to do that, 
but it is an option. If you think about the flexibility that we have in small and medium enterprises, in privately held firms, in family-owned businesses, one of the things that we can do is actually have a much longer time frame or time horizon that we are working to. So use that to your advantage. Don't operate in a way that traps you into completely false and, uh, you know, just constructed. They, they don't, they're not real in and of themselves. Those timeframes of a, a quarterly earnings or a certain growth reporting timeframe, they're arbitrary. They don't exist and have authority in and of themselves. So rather than having those in place and then feeling the pressure to make decisions and push towards achieving those targets or reporting on growth in that time period, think differently. Start to broaden your time horizon. Start to be more intentional about what you focus on and how you incentivize behavior in your organization that actually gets you closer to who you are as an organization in terms of behaving in an aligned way with your core values and that helps you trend in the direction of achieving your vision of what you want to be part of as an organization. You have the power to do that. You can change what you're focused on as an organization. You can change what you incentivize that will ultimately affect how people behave within your organization, the decisions they make, what they feel they have the freedom to do in terms of either taking risk or simply, as I said, having a longer time horizon. When we do that, and when we come back to some of the pieces that I keep talking to you about the benefits of a both-end mindset, where we stop ourselves, if we find ourselves being one-dimensional, if we find ourselves going to extremes or being quite black and white, and we then say, okay, I need to stop. I need to think about this from different perspectives. I need to broaden. I need to have a more multidimensional response to this. Then in this category around what we're focusing on and how we're incentivizing the right behavior, we can start to say, ah, if I tell my team that what we're all focused on at the moment are these quarterly targets around growth, around hitting certain percentages of profit, but then we are trying to paint this bigger picture of who we are as an organization and what we want to be part of creating in the world, they will feel this tension. They might be excited by that broader vision. They might feel connected to the values that we are talking about as an organization, but they are going to feel deeply conflicted when then what I am pushing them to actually deliver for me in terms of what I'm incentivizing is the achievement of short-term target. There's this dissonance there that just makes no sense. And in order to either get their own uh, bonuses, in order to 
feel that sense of achievement and purpose for them and their team that they they can tick that box and you know they've achieved the the quarterly targets you're actually driving their behavior back into the exact thing you're trying to step away from so think about where that is at play in your organization and how you might want to change that when we think bigger whether that is about the piece of thinking like a system, then acting like an entrepreneur. So whether it's that we zoom out and we start to take on board a whole bunch of different factors within the environments we operate in, that might be related to some of the flow-on impacts that we have either with our customers when they use our products or services. It might be looking back into our supply chain and looking at the consequences of our decisions there related to the conditions of workers or the environmental impacts of our supply chain. When we broaden out and start to understand the big picture more and when we then take a different approach around timeframes and have a business model focus that is about the win-win, the creation of the win-win, So again, not going into that world of being a zero-sum game of I need to grow and win and be more profitable at the expense of others, but instead saying I need to be running a business where when I win, it is because I have delivered more value in the world. My team win, my suppliers win, my customers win, all of those components of a broader sense of stakeholders When we do that, and it's combining all of those pieces of a bigger picture, more multifaceted view of of our work, it has a bigger time frame, and it has the aspects that, that we've just kind of walked through together, what it allows us to do is to start to come up with solutions and structure things in a way that more accurately incentivizes the right kinds of behavior and moves us away from those situations where we see business leaders actually behaving in really unhealthy ways that aren't you know life-giving for them either as an individual and they're certainly not a good reflection on us as a business so that's the piece around structuring our attention and incentives in business again the books to read There's lots of books to read, but (laughs) net positive and fixing the game are two nice places to start. The third aspect that I wanted to talk to you about that I shared in response to why this behavior happens in business leaders focuses around our tendency to be driven towards action and achievement. Now, you will often have heard me talking about the fact that our strengths can be our weaknesses, you know, two sides of the one coin. And this piece really falls into that category. So one of the aspects that is why we are in the positions we're in as business leaders, whether you are someone who considers yourself an entrepreneur or whether it's not so much being an entrepreneur, but it's the, the business leader, the business owner, that is the category you fit into. Whichever one of those you're in, 
we tend to be the kinds of people who are labelled from a young age as, you know, a natural leader. The, we're the people who set goals, who are, you know, if we looked at a strengths finder piece, tend to be achievers. We are driven, high performance. Some people use the term type A. There's lots of different namings that we've been given at different points. But that tendency to drive to action, to want a goal and to want to achieve something has this flip side or negative aspect to it if it is not combined with a very intentional ongoing practice of self-awareness, self-knowledge and that reflection practice, right? So if we look at what happens and some of the unhealthy behaviours in business leaders that are often, you know, then, then held up as the reasons why we can't trust business leaders or, or why the you know, power has gone to their head. Those pieces, in my experience, do come down to the fact that in a desire to set a goal to jump to action, to not just sit around talking but to, to get in there and do something, without reflection we can fall into the trap of latching onto and chasing whatever has been put in front of us. And that leads us right back to that second challenge that I just spoke to you about of the problem is if what has been put in front of us is something that is focusing on the wrong things and that is incentivizing the wrong behavior, then is there actually a question why we see that bad behavior playing out? Because you have the exact types of people in terms of personality and preferences of behavior who want to jump in and achieve that goal, who want to move to action quickly and they are operating in a system that has always validated and rewarded them for succeeding, ticking boxes, and you know, achieving whatever the piece was that was put in front of them. So if what is being put in front of us is actually incentivizing the wrong behavior, then that's a really dangerous combination. And so this third one is important. Because what it requires of us as business leaders to help us avoid falling into that trap ourselves is that we need to be able to build in these practices of self-knowledge, these practices of reflection, the understanding of ourselves and of sitting in those places of being grounded in our values and moving towards our vision. So seeing that practice as of value, not being a waste of time, but in fact being critical to us to be able to then show up in the world and engage and behave 
in ways that we can be proud of is actually really, really important. Years ago, um, when I was doing some postgrad study in the US, there was the the group of us that were studying together had the opportunity to go through a um, an assessment piece that the Cambridge Leadership Associates were working on around adaptive leadership, and it was really fascinating. So we had you know really established uh, leaders, all post grad uh, people studying at at Harvard, and. In this group and looking at this assessment piece, there were these four quadrants that were highlighted, which I think sit really nicely in terms of how we can think about uh, this work and how to avoid the trap that I've just been speaking about. So they broke the, the pieces down into there was components to do with the system when it comes to adaptive leadership and there are components to do with self. And in each of those categories, it's then broken into your ability to diagnose and your ability to act. So what was interesting was that when they looked at the research of how people tended to think about leadership, there was this tendency to, you know, if we looked at acting in the system, which focuses on the techniques necessary for successful leadership and as you intervene in a system and you look at that that big picture, that quadrant was for most people in a leadership role where they concentrated on trying to exercise or put into practice their leadership. They were up there focused on that component and yet the piece they were missing was the the aspect around acting on themselves. So there was this tendency to drive into acting into or trying to change or shift, influence the system itself, but not enough focus from the leaders on the acting on themselves, you know, working on themselves. And when we then look at this component of what I'm talking about here and that the challenge that comes from that place of the tendency to jump straight to action, it is extra tricky <laughs> because we, we haven't even done the other components of the, the good diagnosis first, right? So if you've got these four quadrants, if you're wanting to diagnose the system, act in the system. You're wanting to diagnose yourself, act on yourself. Those pieces related to self are critical because they talk to aspects like self-knowledge, self-management, self-awareness, a lot of the components that come out in things like emotional intelligence and, and different structures if you look at different components of, of different leadership practices. But the drilling straight to acting or how do we just jump into implementing a strategy is something that we have to be very conscious of as leaders because when we do that without 
the practices in place to properly sit back, take the time to actually examine and diagnose the system, identify what needs to happen, think through who might be best placed to do that, and then move into action. And if those decisions aren't based on an ongoing practice of understanding and knowing yourself and knowing how to act on or manage your own behaviour and engagement, then we have such a warped sense of what our role is as leaders and our behaviour is again falling into the trap of being one-dimensional that it is no wonder that we see the downsides and the, uh, the negative outcomes, the poor behaviour from leaders. So the, again, there's a whole bunch of different things you could think about and, and read about in this space around uh, the third category of being driven to action and the downside of that. But I want you to just sit with the fact that if you can cultivate an ability to have not just one-sided but both components of being deeply grounded in an understanding of the the self-knowledge components around you as a leader and also about your organisation and who you are as an organisation, whether that's to do with values, uh, culture, purpose, vision, all of those things. When you combine that type of deep knowing and reflection and then connect it to action, then you are in a much healthier place to start to see positive types of behaviour, behaviour that is aligned with who you are, who you want to be in the world and what you want to be part of. And it will help to reduce some of those negative things that that we see as the stereotypes of the worst of business and, and leaders acting in really poor, poor ways. I'm going to leave it there. Again, I, uh, I could talk about this all day, but I just wanted to jump on and share with you what was a really fun conversation uh, that I had today when I got asked that question. And I just wanted to share with you those three pieces. I hope that uh, they plant some seeds for you and that they are useful in your own reflection this week on your business and your leadership practice. And again, feel free to listen to this, watch this, maybe journal a bit, pull out some of the pieces that are either challenging for you or encouraging for you. Maybe read a little bit more of some of these books or ideas that I've brought up today. But please then go beyond your personal exploration and come and join me in the conversation. Ask some questions and let's start to have more of a community around these these topics that we're exploring together. I love 
talking to you and sharing with you like this, but I would love for this to become a conversation where you're sharing back with me and ultimately where you're sharing with other business leaders that are on this journey. Because we can change the way business is run and we can design and build business models that create a win-win and that are doing good and making money, but it is going to take a shifting of mindset. It is going to take us breaking down a whole bunch of unconscious things that we've taken on and believed to be true about business, about leadership, about ourselves. And that journey is going to be easier for you if you do it in community. So please join me in this community that I am building as we together explore what it means to live and lead more meaningful lives. Thank you for taking the time to listen to both success and integrity with Bessie Graham. If you found what I shared today valuable or you think that it would be good for a fellow business leader to listen to, then please share the episode with someone you know. Another way to help the podcast is to provide a rating and written review on your podcast app of choice. The written review is important because it helps others learn more about what we're trying to achieve. If you'd like to get in touch, please reach out to me at any time on LinkedIn, YouTube or Instagram just by searching Bessie Graham or you can go to BessieGraham.com. I'm Bessie Graham and remember... You don't have to choose between experiencing success or having integrity in your life.